The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Everyone, happy St. Patrick's Day. I see lots of green. <laughs> Don't want to get pinched. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, I, I went to hear some Irish music on Friday night. It was really delightful. I was speaking with a, a man from Ireland who said, in Ireland, you know, it's not as big a deal as it is here. <laughs> and they never refer to it as St. Patty's Day. No. It's St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> St. Patty. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, does anybody want to move up a little closer? (laughs) Well, this morning, I'd like for us to uh, think and talk and reflect on mudita. Does everybody, does anybody know what mudita is? <laughs> the next one. <laughs> Compassion is karuna. Exactly. Mudita is, is the, actually I don't know if it's Sanskrit or Pali. Pali, I guess. Word for um, sympathetic, empathetic, altruistic joy. It's the third of the four Brahma-viharas. The Brahma-viharas, you know, are are those states of mind, um, also known as the heavenly abodes. Vihara means home or abode. Brahma means God or heavenly. So they're known as the heavenly or sublime or divine abodes. And that is the states of mind of an enlightened being. So the first is metta or loving kindness. The second is karuna or compassion. And the third is mudita or empathetic joy. And the last is upeka, or equanimity. So I chose mudita because I think it's the most challenging of the four. Um, And the four are listed the way they are because they build on each other. So it seems pretty clear to me that it's difficult to have empathetic joy. And I should say, what we mean by that is the happiness or joy or delight in the well-being or the happiness, the success um, of somebody else. This is why I think it can be challenging. It's not always easy for us to feel happiness at somebody else's happiness. So, So mm -hmm. uh huh. Yes, yes, exactly. In fact, envy or jealousy is one of the blocks to experiencing mudita. I I have a friend who used to, I don't know if she still does, has a license plate that says Mudita. (laughs) Metta, yeah. yeah. Um, So, as I say, each one builds on the next. And it seems very important that to experience Mudita, uh, that we have a good foundation in loving-kindness and compassion. Without that, I think it would be quite difficult to expect ourselves to feel happiness for somebody else's happiness. 
So each of the Brahma Viharas, of course, is important in and of itself. And the most frequently practiced, I think, uh, formally practiced anyway, is loving kindness, because we actually have a loving kindness practice that we often do along with uh, the insight or vipassana. Uh, So each one is important in and of itself, but they also all uh, uh, support and reflect the others. As Thich Nhat Hanh says, they inter are. (laughs) So in some ways, we can't separate out, I don't think, loving kindness from uh, empathetic joy or compassion. Uh, They really all go together. And they all arise as we practice naturally and we cultivate them. Particularly, perhaps, mudita uh, is good to cultivate. So, when I first started practice back in the 80s and learned of, we at that time said sympathetic joy, um, it was a very specific thing we were talking about that was being willing or able to feel the happiness of someone else or for someone else when they're happy. Over the years, it has become empathetic joy, altruistic joy, which still has the same connotation, but now more and more people are saying, teachers are saying, just joy. For me, that uh, that changes it a little bit. For me, the more specific, being able to feel happiness or joy in the happiness of somebody else is more specific and a bigger challenge than just joy. Now, I, I was just reading recently where Thich Nhat Hanh says just the opposite. <laughs> he says that sympathetic or empathetic joy is too limiting and that it should be joy, you know, a boundless <laughs> um, caring for everyone, including ourselves. So, of course, it's both. But I'd like to focus on the more specific because I see that as more of a challenge. I think, you know, I can be joyful, I can be happy for no particular reason, just happy, and then get a little sting or a little reminder when somebody, you know, says something that... uh, they're happy about, and something in me goes, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so practicing, um, practicing allowing myself to experience joy for somebody else's joy is, is a very worthy, very practical practice. <laughs> And we sometimes say that the divine abodes, the heavenly abodes, the the four um, uh, Brahma Viharas are a refuge. We can actually take refuge in the Brahma Viharas, in the experience of loving kindness, compassion, and empathetic joy. And they lead to the freedom of the heart. So the more I can allow myself to experience that joy for someone else, the freer I am, the more open my heart is. And it's a bit like doing metta or loving kindness for the difficult person. You know, sometimes we're doing metta and it's fine for for someone we admire and it, 
It might be even fine for a neutral person. And then we get to the difficult person, and it's not so fine. It's not so easy. And it takes practice. So mudita can be a little bit like that. It can show us the sticky places, the places where the ego is still a bit attached. So there are some easy ways to feel mudita, to feel happiness for others. Probably um, it's pretty easy for all of us to feel happy when a family member, somebody we love, somebody we care about, a good friend, a child, has some success or some, some pleasure, some happiness, then we kind of naturally experience happiness for that person. But the difficulty can come when there's someone that in some way we might have the illusion, and it is an illusion, that they're more fortunate than us, they're better than us, they got something that we don't have, they're more deserving, they're smarter, whatever, on and on, inferring a lack in ourselves. Then it might be a little more difficult to feel the happiness that they feel. There might be a bit of us, a little piece of us that says, why not me? Or even, how come them? (laughs) And then that's the place where we get to work. That's the place where we get to see, ah, there's some sense of lack within us, some sense that we're not enough, that we're not okay, that there's something that keeps us from feeling full, from feeling uh, secure and okay within ourselves. Because we notice when we feel that, then there's no, there's no rub. It's easy to feel happiness for somebody else. But if there isn't that security, if there isn't that fullness in us, then somebody else winning the lottery, um, getting a promotion, finding the love of their life, if we don't have the love of our life, then when somebody else finds that person and is all happy and excited, there may be a place in us that isn't quite so excited, isn't quite so happy. If we don't have the perfect job, if we don't have a lot of money, then somebody else getting that might be a bit of a challenge for us to feel excited for. So uh, I just want to share with you this lovely quote from Father Thomas Keating. If one completes the journey to one's own heart, one will find oneself in the heart of everyone else. Isn't that lovely? So if we do our own work, if we travel to our own heart, if one completes the journey to one's own heart, one will find oneself in the heart of everyone else. So for me, that just supports the understanding that if we feel okay, if we are okay within ourselves, then it's easy to feel happiness for someone else. It's when that work isn't completed that it isn't quite so easy. So I just want to make one caveat, and that is, you know, one time somebody asked me, but if we're supposed to feel happiness for somebody else's happiness, 
and somebody is happy because they've done something terrible. (laughs) They're not truly happy. (laughs) Well, I think that's a very good point. But um, the idea, no, the idea is not that we want to support illegal, immoral, unethical behavior. So, of course, if somebody's happy because they robbed a bank and now they're rich, um, we're not we're not expected to practice mudita for that. Uh, However, often we have a tendency to judge other people's happiness and put constraints on it. And the idea is not to do that. If somebody is happy because they got a brand new... Car. Yeah. Car, fiat, or whatever (laughs) the latest is... um, then it's not for us to judge whether that is a valid reason to be happy or not. If they are happy, then we can feel happy for their happiness. I just, I just realized when you, I mean, I said car and fiat, and I'm thinking fiat's pretty fuel efficient. But it's like, what about, I have friends. I love them dearly. I actually have friends. I love them. You know what she's going to say. <laughs> I mean, they love big, I mean, if they could, they'd, have, they'd buy a Hummer. <laughs> you know, like they buy the big Jeep and the big truck that, you know, just sort of says, I mean. And I, I know it within them, it is that kind of stuff. <laughs> but sometimes I do I have trouble with it. Like, oh, Christine. Oh, well, you'll never meet her. Oh, Christine. <laughs> but the thing is, they're happy that, with that, specifically the Jeep and the giant, it's a red truck. They're happy with it. Yeah. So I sit there going, that's not good for the environment. Right. And they're coming from a smaller place than me being concerned about ecology. Well, can we do both? I don't know. Can we, <laughs> can we be concerned about the environment and be happy for our friends? So it's kind of like... Um, other things. We can be happy without condoning whatever is making them happy. And if we remember that this practice really puts more emphasis on personal relationships than on what is actually done, then can we allow ourselves to feel their happiness? And then perhaps there's an opportunity at another time to say something about the environment. So it's not a criticism of them. Um, Sharon Salzberg, whom you probably know, uh, let me see. Can we allow the lives of others to be different and feel happy for them? So can we allow other people's lives to be just what they are and still we feel happy for them? So letting go of what we think is right or correct or what others should be doing and practicing non-judgmentalness. So remember, non-judgmentalness does not eliminate discriminating wisdom. We can still have the wisdom, the discrimination, to know uh, what is harmful for the environment and what is not. We don't have to let go of that to be happy for our friends' happiness. So maintaining our own wisdom, but allowing ourselves to feel happy for somebody else. I'm sorry, can I ask I'm sorry, I'm taking a lot, I have a lot of questions. Um, oh, thank you. I'll use these two friends because I really do love them. They're just lovely, lovely people who they are. And then there's the car thing. And I just wonder, sometimes where I get to that is um, they're not there yet. Where um, 
I hope I'm using right action with a capital R rather than a small R. Um, they're not there yet. They're not. They're more interested in having these things than concerned about the environment. And here was my. This is a question because this comes up for me. And is like, is that compassion or is that condescension? How do you know? How do you? Well, I was going to say uh, how we can deal with that is to have compassion for someone. If someone um, still believes that having things is what makes them happy, then we can have compassion for that person that has not yet realized that the happiness comes from within and not from things. But you're right, sometimes uh, it can be more like condescension. And that, I think, we have to be aware of within ourselves. We can ask ourselves. And sometimes it's probably tinged with both. Yeah. So maybe I should go on, and then we can have more questions. So what are some blocks to our feeling mudita, feeling happiness for others. And we just talked about judgment. That's a big one that gets in the way when we judge that what someone else is successful at or happy for um, is not really worthy or is not really valuable. Then we're judging. And we're blocking that sense of happiness uh, for someone else. And the judgment can come from comparing mind. The envy, the jealousy comes from comparing mind. And you may remember in Buddhist understanding, uh, any kind of comparing is considered conceit. And the Buddha suggested there is no need for comparing. There is nothing to compare. We are all individual. We are all unique. We are all part of this web of life. Sometimes we compare it to the jewels of Indra's net. You know, this very large, very large net where at each crossing there is a beautiful jewel. And each jewel is beautiful and shines in and of itself. And each one reflects off the others. And if we can see ourselves as one of the jewels in the net of life, then we see there's, there's no need, there's really no basis for comparison. Who says the green jewel is better than the ruby jewel, or the diamond jewel is better than the sapphire. You know, it might be preference, but inherently there's no, there's no judgment, there's no better or less than. But sometimes the ego likes to compare, and it compares to show us that we're better than somebody else, or, often, that we're worse than, we're less than somebody else. And you'd think we wouldn't like that, but sometimes we get hooked on feeling less than. And it's when that ego gets hooked, (laughs) gets trapped in the comparison, that then it becomes very difficult to be open-hearted and have the ability to be happy for somebody else's happiness because it touches that part in us that, uh, that may not feel as fortunate, as beautiful, as whatever, as somebody else. Prejudice or preference can get in the way of feeling the mudita openness. 
Like metta, mudita can be boundless. That's the idea, ultimately, that we can feel happiness for anyone, whether it's a huge happiness, a huge success, or something very minor. And that it doesn't matter who it is, good friend, neutral person, difficult person. We can feel with that person for their happiness. So feeling with, we often use in terms of suffering or sorrow. Can we feel with the suffering of someone else? We call that compassion, that we are able to feel with them. Mudita can be like that, but feeling the happiness rather than the suffering. However, feeling the suffering with someone else can open us to feeling their happiness. So another quote from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each life's sorrow and suffering in each person's life, sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. So if we knew the sorrow, the suffering of each person, that would open us to feel mudita, to feel their happiness. Remembering this is our gateway to mudita. Remembering that everyone has sorrow, has loss, has suffering or dissatisfaction of some kind. And knowing that, remembering that, understanding that can allow us then, when there is some success, some joy, to be able also to experience that with them. I'm sorry? Can you read that again? Yes. If we could read the secret history of our enemies, it could be of anyone, we should find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. So another block can be demeaning people making fun of, humiliating, putting someone down to lift us up, criticizing someone, finding fault with someone. You know, typically um, we tend to do that when we are feeling some lack, when we are feeling less than. then there's a tendency to project that and criticize someone else. And sometimes, it turns out, we tend to do that with someone that we really admire, that we really um, think well of. But again, there may be that, that lack or sense, perceived lack in us. And so there's a tendency to put that person down, which then makes us feel better. So Rick Hansen, who um, uh, wrote the book Hardwiring Happiness, says that he has a practice when he finds himself being critical of someone or finding fault, he changes that thought in his mind to may your happiness continue. May your well-being, your success, whatever, continue to grow. And it's, it's like doing metta, you know, when we find ourselves angry or upset with someone, um, we can turn that around 
and wish them well. And at first, it might feel stilted, it might feel contrived, um, not genuine. It may not be genuine at first, but with practice, it becomes more genuine. And if, if we've all practiced metta, then you know the, the happiness that can come from wishing even someone you really don't like happiness. It tends to um, let the, the, the anger or whatever, the disappointment, fall away, and we can actually feel happiness. So I've done this myself, um, knowing the value of mudita, when I find that uh, you know, someone is happy about something, uh, a success, or they've gotten praise or something, um, and there's that little tinge in me. I'm not 100% happy for them. Maybe 80, but not 100. And I remind myself, you know, this is not about me. <laughs> this has nothing to do with me. This is their success their happiness, their praise, whatever, whatever it happens to be. And that the idea that it anyway reflects on me is an illusion. It's a delusion. It is, unfortunately, um, putting too much emphasis, being too attached to this I, this me. And it often can be ignoring my own value ignoring uh, perhaps, you know, whatever uh, I may have done well. And so when I remember that, it helps me to let go of that sticky place and join in the happiness, the, the excitement or whatever of someone else. So remembering that, that, Whatever happens for someone else has nothing, usually, to do with us. You know, because they win the lottery doesn't say anything about us. Maybe we don't even play. I don't, so there's no possibility of winning. (laughs) I bought one lottery ticket once. About 13 years ago was when we were going to buy this building. And I told Gil... You know, I'm going to buy one lottery ticket, and if I win, it goes to IMC. I bought one ticket, of course, I didn't win. But But I remember his response was, well, I'd rather get the money a different way, but if you win, we'll take it, (laughs) something like that. (laughs) So, another... um, block or hindrance, we might say, is selfishness or avarice. And selfishness can mean holding on to what we have, that we don't think there's enough for everyone. So again, there's that sense of lack. If we don't believe there's enough happiness to go around or enough love to go around or enough success or whatever then uh, if what we have, we might feel we have to hold on to. Because if we give it away, then we won't have it. And of course, what we find is just the opposite. That the more we give away, whether it's love or money or knowledge or whatever, um, the more we get back. But often, we don't perceive that we think that there's a limited amount of whatever and that therefore we better hold on to it so we get enough. It can be the opposite of the practice of generosity or of sharing. And it can cause, of course, tremendous pain, mostly to ourselves, but to other people as well. If we're holding on, if we're hoarding and not giving of what we have, 
you know, there's an idea in Buddhist understanding that um, we must share the Dharma, that it's not okay to, you know, hoard it, hide it away, hold it inside, and not share it. That it's a priceless gift. And if we have learned, then we have an obligation to share it. Not necessarily as a teacher, of course. We can share it in all ways, all, all the time, just in how we are and how we behave in the world. And then another block can be boredom. Interesting, huh? These are from Sharon Salzberg. And she describes boredom as turning away from aversion, not being aware, not being mindful, sort of like sloth and torpor. And if we ignore the things that are right in front of us, if we ignore sometimes the small things, um, then we can fall into boredom. We can fall into a sort of disinterested, um, lethargic state. But she suggests that mudita can overcome boredom. So being aware of everything that is in front of us, even the small things, and practicing the natural mudita, the natural happiness that arises from small things will overcome that boredom. So what are some things that support or encourage mudita? One is gratitude. Gratitude for our lives and for what we have for who we are. Often, you know, we tend to forget that, especially with comparing mind. We forget the bounty in our own lives. We forget our own blessings. And so making it a practice to remember every day the blessings of our lives. I recently did a uh, one-day Reiki um, training, and one one of the precepts for Reiki is today I will remember my blessings. I will remember the blessings of my life. They were so similar to Buddhist practice. I was, I was really uh, surprised by that. But if we can remember and acknowledge to ourselves all that we have and all that we are, all that we are, then there isn't, we don't allow that sense of lack or not enough. And we can overcome envy with our gratitude. And compassion, we've talked about that. Compassion for everyone. Remembering that everyone has loss. Everyone has grief. Everyone has something in their lives that is difficult, that they must deal with. We remember the story of Kisi Gotama in uh, Kisa Gotami. I always (laughs) reverse those. The woman who, at the time of the Buddha, lost her son and was so distraught. And she was roaming the streets, holding her dead son in her arms. And somebody told her to go to the Buddha. And she did. And the Buddha, in his wisdom, um, suggested to her that she go to every house until and bring him a mustard seed from every house that had not experienced death. And guess what? <laughs> she found no house that had not experienced death. And with that, she was able to accept the death of her son and go to the graveyard and bury him. So remembering that everyone has loss. Everyone has some kind of suffering. 
as well as success. That can help us, again, to enjoy the success of someone else. I mentioned loosening our attachment to this I, this me or mine. Um, When we're so attached to ourselves, it's more difficult to have mudita. When we're less attached, it's much easier. We're much more open. The Dalai Lama said, It's important to understand how much your own happiness is linked to that of others. There is no individual happiness totally independent of everyone else. And Rick Hansen again says, if we derive happiness from the happiness of others, we have at least six billion more opportunities to be happy. <laughs> Isn't that nice? If we, if we get happiness from other people's happiness, we have six billion more opportunities to be happy. So, uh, we said earlier that there are some ways that mudita or happiness for others just spontaneously arises. Uh, just naturally arises. And I said, for um, people that we're close to, people that we love, seeing the success of a child, a child who's been struggling with something um, and then suddenly is successful. It's easy to be happy for that child, isn't it? Um, For those of us that have dogs, seeing two dogs playing together. They're so happy and they're having so much fun. And it's delightful. It's wonderful um, to watch that and to feel their excitement, to feel their happiness. To see um, a baby squealing with delight at something they've discovered or something they can do. There are um, so many ways that we spontaneously. I, I uh, have a neighbor that came over last Friday, and this person often tends to be very negative by her own admission. And Friday, she was very happy because she had helped a lost puppy <laughs> get found. <laughs> And she was sharing it with me. You know, this was a dog at work that she had seen. And for two days, it was wandering around. And finally, she called. And she put out some food for him. And then she called Humane Society. And she had gotten a call back that they had come and found the dog. And he was safe at the shelter. And uh, it was nice, really. It was very nice to see her uh, happy about doing that. So I want to just add that mudita can be practiced not just as individuals, but as groups. And what I mean by that is that families can feel happiness for other families. Religions could feel happiness for the success or whatever of other religions. Imagine that. Instead of all the, <laughs> the arguing and, and um, defensiveness, if one religion could feel happiness for another religion. I, I say religion because that came to mind. Ethnic group, you know, if one ethnic group could feel happiness for another ethnic group, again, instead of all the jealousy or the um, whatever, if nations could feel happiness for the success of other nations. And it came to my mind, if Americans 
could feel happiness for the success of the Chinese, for the success of the Russians. Wouldn't that be huge? Wouldn't that change our world if we dropped all our criticisms and felt happiness for someone else's success? Um, What about corporations? What if corporations felt felt happiness for the success of another corporation rather than all this competing and and, um, you know, putting down another. Or sports teams. That would be a big one, wouldn't it? I mean, you could, you could feel happiness at your own success as well. And then feel happiness for another's success. So, uh, just for a couple minutes, I'd like to ask you to remember a time in your life. It might take a couple minutes to remember, but when you were happy for something, a success, um, you know, uh, anything, and somebody else obviously felt your happiness. Maybe something you accomplished, maybe something you acquired, a trip you took, um, you know. And can you remember how that felt when somebody else was happy for you? Remember how nice that felt, right? How heartwarming, how supportive. And how it probably increased your happiness and opened your heart. Anybody have one you'd like to share? Um, I have two that came to mind. We can go with the baseball game or the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Make it short and do both. <laughs> um, I got to go to one of the playoff games last year. And, um, and I, I told my brother by email, we go to games together when he's in town. But he was so happy and he's going on and on. Where are you sitting? And he looks it up to see where. And then afterwards he asked me what I had to eat. And, so it was just fun to share. And, um, and the other one was when I hiked in the Grand Canyon and I sent my girlfriend pictures afterwards and she was really excited for me. So that was neat. Yeah. And thank you yeah. for the exercise. It made me realize um, when other, just how much it meant to me so yeah. that I can yeah. hopefully pass that on to others. Yeah. Um, people who know me know I am absolutely bonkers about Cajun and Zydeco music. And last year I made some shawls for a musician's mother and his mother. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And um, he's kind of (laughs) self-centered, even though he is my number one son by another mother. And um, I gave him another shawl for his sister. A A bunch of stuff happened. Anyway, he said, oh, i got to get a picture of this. And he handed his phone to a friend, and he grabbed me, and he pulled me to him, and he took a picture of the two of us together. It's my picture on Facebook. But the thing is, my friends knew what an over-the-moon kind of experience, and I have had nothing from my friends except, oh, it's so wonderful, that just had to make your day. We know how much you love Steve, you know. And it was... Their, their, 
their that that kindness, that support, that yeah. love. Yeah. It was just I'm not used to that. Yeah. So it was yeah, wonderful. It and it happens with people who aren't practicing Buddhist <laughs> precepts. Right. You know. So right. it was wonderful. Can happen with anyone. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Well, I guess I can boast of an accomplishment here. <laughs> um, I was taking computer classes at Foothill in 93. I've also been last year, but back in 93, and there was a problem we had to solve that the standard textbook solution, if you implement it correctly on a 1993 computer, Printed out all 92 solutions to the problem over the course of one hour. It took about an hour to solve it, and I figured out a way to do it that uh, produced all 92 solutions in um, about four seconds. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, my computer teacher was very pleased with me. And uh, but I think one mathematically impaired member of my family was more jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. So you got both. You got the yeah, mudita both, yeah. and you got the... <laughs> right. uh, it, it, it it's the queen's problem where you place eight queens on a chessboard so that there's no <laughs> horizontal, vertical, or diagonal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's 11, so let me just close with this. Um, Surely this is love. I am intimately connected with all that is. When you water your roots, my heart blossoms. When I see you smile... That's when I know I'm fully alive. As you are able to live in truth, I raise the roof on this house I am exploring. I throw the doors wide, let the breeze blow in the windows. When you grow, I know it is my own opening. You stretch, I breathe, I give, and you receive. Just beneath the fabric of our lives, coiled, ready to spring, or budding like a rose, reaching out to embrace, or sitting bathed in grace and stillness, this singing, circling, radiant one with everything, surely this is love. So remembering, when I see you smile, that's when I know I'm fully alive. When you grow, I know it is. I know it as my own opening. <laughs>